0: Well, let's open up to the book of Acts, uh, chapter 8. We pick up where we left off a couple of weeks ago, and um, obviously we didn't do this last week. And I just want to say it is a great joy as one of your elders and uh, as your lead teaching pastor when I get to step aside and just spend time with my family and to sort of be off and, and mentally, but then to be able to watch as the Lord has called and equipped men in this church to stand in the pulpit, to faithfully deliver God's word with excellence. That was done last week. Larry had a, had a great word uh, for us out of the book of Ephesians and just did a phenomenal job. And so uh, I'd encourage you to go back and to listen to that sermon again if you haven't heard it. But we pick up where we left off two weeks ago. We left... Uh, the apostles sort of dealing with uh, the, the Harry Potter guys of the day, Simon the Magician. And so they were dealing with a little bit of that. They were uh, being sent out by God to validate that the work of the Holy Spirit was really the work of the Spirit. And so God sends the apostles to, to basically go and look at what God is doing uh, in this strange land to verify that it's of God. And now we pick up in the continuation um, in Acts Chapter 8, verse 26, and I just want to read the first verse for us, and it says this, An angel of the Lord said to Philip, Rise and go toward the south, to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. How many of you by show of hands, maybe don't show this, this is rhetorical, ever had an angel audibly speak to you? Yeah, don't raise your hand. You're, you're, you're in a Baptist church, Okay. Listen, um, I'm 38 years old. I've never had an angel speak to me. I don't think I've ever encountered an angel. I've encountered people that said they've encountered angels and seen angels. never seen one. Uh, Don't know if I have or haven't. Uh, Pretty sure I haven't, all right? The vast majority of my life, 38, 39 years old, God has spoken to me only one way, and that's through his scripture. And so if primarily I want to know God, I have to know God's word. And to know God's word, I have to continually bring myself down to it to, to, to allow it to absorb, to allow it to take over, allow it to speak, and allow it to change me. Because the consequence of doing that is this. If I can hear God and I can hear his, his gentle whisper or his nudges, then, then I can be respondent to the things that he's told me to do. There are times where where God will speak in this sort of quiet, gentle, sort of nudging in a way where where you know God has told you to do something. You know God has told you to go to a place or to say something to someone, to speak up when you need to speak up, or you've heard God say, be quiet, when you thought you were going to say something, and more often than not, I'm ready to say something, and it's the Spirit of God just telling me to be quiet and listen. But here's the reality of the gospel that shapes us today. If we believe that the gospel is a go and tell kind of thing, that we're being sent by God to be on mission with a message, with a word, with a proclamation, with something to say, God is sending us. And and what's happening is God is is divinely, uh, in his wisdom, he is placing people within our pathways. He is bringing people to our our doorsteps. He's allowing them to come to our neighborhoods. Um, They're walking in our streets. We work with them throughout the day. We go to school with them. And every single person that we encounter, whether it be in our neighborhoods, in our homes, or in our workplace, I believe that God has orchestrated in his wisdom what I would just call divine appointments for his people. Divine appointments of, of encouragement, divine appointments of of evangelism, of of maybe apologetics and defending the faith, or just being an encouragement to someone who just needs someone to come alongside them and be for them. People need people to be for them. So God sends us out with a mission. And what we see in Acts chapter 8 is we see God sending out the church to be on mission for what God has called him to do. And so this angel speaks to Philip, says, rise and go toward the south. But I want you to notice where he says to go. I want you to go down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So geographically, Gaza is about 165 miles south of Jerusalem. So when God tells Philip to rise up and to go, I want you to start walking 165 miles down to this city. And at the time, he has no idea what it is that God wants him to do. God just said, "Go." And so Philip, being obedient, just said, "Okay, God's speaking to me. I'm going to get up and I'm just going to start walking." Now, can you imagine if God asked you to do anything, but the requirement to fulfill the expectation is that you have to walk 165 miles to do it? How many of you would say that I'm all in? I love walking that much. Even in the Texas heat, I'm game. I'll be obedient to this. One hundred and sixty-five miles, traveling down to this place called Gaza, which was at the time really just this hole in the wall city. It would have been the equivalent of, of really just anything west of Fort Worth is just considered like God-forsaken territory, right? Like who would live west of Fort Worth in and, and places like Midland and, and love it? God forbid, right? God doesn't even go that far over in Texas, all right? In all of these little towns with a, with a one-stop light, um, used to be they had a Dairy Queen, now they have a stoplight in a McDonald's, right? Dairy Queens are going away too, unfortunately. But, but you end up in these little bitty towns in this little place of, of seemingly no significance south of Jerusalem where all of the hub of spiritual activity was taking place. And so he says in verse 27, so he rose and he went, and there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all of her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship. Now at the time of Jesus, everything that was southeast of the Nile was just considered Ethiopia. So it could have been uh, an area of 500 to anywhere to 1,600 miles. That's how vast this area would have been. And you have this Ethiopian eunuch who was basically the finance minister for this lady. Now, if you don't know what a eunuch is, um, ask your small group leader or your Sunday school teacher or call your dad after the service is over. But this was a man who had been set aside in, in, a, in a holy way to be devoted and committed to the court. He was set aside in a very special way to be committed to the, to the court or to the queen. That they wanted to make sure that that he had a soul and a single focus in his mind. And so Philip travels down to Gaza and arises this Ethiopian, this eunuch, this court official who was in charge. But notice in verse 27 what it says. The eunuch went to Jerusalem. Why? He went to worship. But here's the catch for those of us that know the story or are a little bit familiar with the story. We learn later on that this Ethiopian... Though he went to Jerusalem to worship, he did not know God. In fact, he didn't understand it. He, he was reading scripture that we'll see in just a moment. and He was like, I'm, I'm not sure what exactly is happening. But he went because he was a seeker. He was prone towards spiritual things, he had insight, he had this gravitation towards um, mis- mysterious things, and he, and he wanted to know, he wanted to examine, he, he wanted to watch them, he wanted to study. This is the person that takes the world religions class in college, because they're interested in all the religions, and, and what they're doing, and, and what they mean, and the implications, and, and the significance of all the, the ritualistic acts, and those things that are before him. Here he was, just simply trying to figure out what this was all about. He had come to worship and he was returning seated in his chariot and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. And the spirit said to Philip, go over and join his chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and he asked, do you understand what you are reading? And I want you to focus back in just for a moment on verse 29. And notice that phrase in the very beginning and it says, and the spirit said to Philip, go. Philip hears the voice of God and he responds. Philip was walking with God and and he was walking closely enough with God that he could hear the nudge and the whisper and the direction that God would give him. Here's my question for you this morning and here's the question that's haunted me uh, since Monday morning of this week. Do you and I walk closely enough with God and pursuing Him regularly and and with vigor and with determination that when God speaks to us, we hear Him? Do I walk closely enough with Him that I recognize His voice? Do I recognize the voice as opposed to the other voices in in the world or or those that might give us direction? But, But do I know Him well enough that when He speaks, I hear Him and I not just hear him, but, but I respond in the same way that Philip did. And when he says to go over and join the chariot, I, I go and I follow and I, and I pursue and I walk. I think sometimes it could be true of many of us, myself included, that we don't hear God speak often enough in our life because we're not walking with him on a regular basis and close enough with him so that we can hear him. And because we've not listened to his voice over and over and over again, we we can't recognize his voice over all the other voices that are shouting and, and jockeying for our attention and our affection. If God were to speak to you today, just like he did Philip, would you recognize his voice and know it well enough to respond? This past week, I was coming back from downtown Fort Worth. And as I walked out of one building in downtown Fort Worth, I looked up and I saw on opposite sides of a building in front of me, adjacent, were hundreds of people on both sides. And they were yelling and screaming. Uh, they were angry. They were animated. I could tell it was a large group of people. And there was a lot of police officers that were just watching. They weren't involved. They were standing back at a distance. And I, as I was walking to where my car was, I stopped next to one of them. I said, what, what's going on? What's, what is everybody mad about today? And so he began to explain why they were there uh, and, and what their purpose was. And I just happened to, to be getting ready to go to a, another appointment. But I said, you know, I'm going to sit and talk to this guy for a minute. And, and I said, well, well, why do you think they're so upset about this particular issue? And so he starts to explain. And, and then I said, well, why do you think that we're seeing so much unrest all over our country and even all over the world right now? It's not just happening here in the United States, but these things are happening all over the place. Why is everyone so upset? Why all of a sudden are we, are we full of such angst? And, and why is there such worry and, and fear and, and, and just anger and hostility? What, why do you think that is? And he just sort of looked at me. And he's like, that's a, that's a really loaded question. And uh, I said, but what do you think? And he says, I just think people in general are just they're looking for some kind of peace to, to fill them up. And I said, yeah, that's right. I said people in the world is looking for peace and they're looking for it in the wrong directions. Listen, there's this guy that I know about in the scriptures uh, that Philip was talking to this guy, who uh, this Ethiopian finance minister, and he was looking for peace in his life in Acts 8. And he was trying to find peace by seeking all these different religions and trying to do all of these different things and and being observant and conversant. And and ultimately where it got him back to this was this place where he needed someone to tell him the truth. These people down here, they need somebody to tell them the truth of of what it means to be real. What does it mean to be human? And in the image of God, they're they're longing for something and they're crying out for, for things like justice, but they're looking for it in the wrong places. And I said, do you, do you know that piece? And that officer looked at me and he said, I do. He said, I do. And I said, well, good. I said, so my name's Drew. And I said, I'm a, the lead teaching pastor um, down at Travis. He says, what does that mean? And I said, I don't even know what that means, but um, I'm down here. And uh, if you're ever looking for a church home, we would love you. We would love to have you. And he said, well, he was, um, I think he said he was Church of Christ. And I said, well, we will definitely pray for you and uh, your (laughs) salvation. I'm just kidding. He knew the Lord. And he knew the Lord. And and I said, you're always welcome to be a guest at our church. I'm glad you know and have peace in your life. But it was one of those moments where the Lord is telling a pastor that's pretty task-minded, you need to stop and listen and talk to this guy. And so we wake up tomorrow morning. We leave here today with this sort of question. What if we started talking to the Lord that way? God, who is it this week that you want me to speak to? Who's my Ethiopian that you're going to bring into my midst that you would have me share, that you would have me encourage, you would, you would have me, me, me talk to? And listen, if God brings you an Ethiopian eunuch in your life this week, you better pay attention, Okay. You know how rare that is? But here's my, my prayer for us as a church this week has been that we would care enough about the little Gazas and the little towns and the little people in the kingdom, and that we would be like Philip, understanding that every single person matters in the kingdom of God. Old and young, black and white, rich and poor, civilian, officer, they matter because God says they matter. And so Philip responds and he goes and the the conversation goes on. So Philip runs to him. Do you understand what you're reading? He says, how can I unless somebody guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and, and to sit with him. And so there they sat, and now the passage of Scripture that he was reading was this, and he quotes Isaiah, he says, Like a sheep he was led to the slaughter, like a lamb before its shears, is silent, so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For this, his life is taken away from the earth. And so he reads this, and he's like, how, how am I supposed to understand that? I have no idea what, what this is talking about as he quotes Isaiah 53. So written almost 800 years prior to Christ, Isaiah foretells the idea that the suffering servant is going to come to be led like a lamb to the slaughter, put to death, silent before his shears, as he is condemned to die for the death of the world. And he says nothing now, usually when, when we're accused in a court of law, do, do we, we typically, because we, we articulate our grief or, or our guilt in this way, when someone stands accused and they know they have done the crime, you parents who have gotten onto your children, like you've caught them red-handed, doing whatever they're doing, and you confront them. And depending on how the confrontation goes, when we know that we're guilty, what is it that we do before our accuser? When we know we're guilty... We typically will look away and break eye contact. We will look away, we'll start fidgeting, and we'll just sit there in silence when we know we're responsible for the thing that they've accused. And so here you have this moment in Isaiah where he foretells that Jesus is going to be silent before his accusers. Why? Not because he was guilty, but rather because he was about to absorb and to take my guilt on my behalf and for me. So he stands and sits silent before those who had put him to death, not because he was guilty, but rather because he was about to absorb all of my guilt on his act on the cross. And so like a lamb, silent before the one who shears it, he doesn't utter a word. He doesn't utter a word. And the eunuch goes on in verse 34, and he says this, about whom... I ask you, does the prophet say this? Who is it that he's talking about? About himself or or is he talking about someone else? As he quotes Isaiah 53, one of the broader contexts that takes place in Isaiah 56 later on is that Isaiah interestingly begins to talk about eunuchs. And one of the things that we know from just history and studying the time of the temple within Jesus' time, that you may or may not find this interesting, but I find this profoundly important as to why the eunuch is asking these questions. Because if you were to try to enter into the, the Jewish temple during this time, you would walk up to the temple and you would typically see a sign on the temple wall. And it would have read something like this. It would have said, nobody that's blind, nobody that's lame, and no eunuchs are allowed to enter into the temple. And so this Ethiopian finance minister goes to Jerusalem to watch them worship. He goes to the place where he is seeking, and he sees a sign that says eunuchs are not welcome in these courts. And so here he is with the the prophet Isaiah in his hand, reading it, going, will there be a day in which someday I'll be able to enter into the courts? Does this religion that, that it's talking about in this man, has it, it paved the way for him or has it made a place for me? An undesirable, an unclean, unworthy individual has been deemed by the Old Testament. Does it make space for me? And the answer to that is yes. Philip opens his mouth in verse 35 and he begins to speak with Scripture and he tells him about the good news of Jesus. He tells him a simple gospel message that the gospel is essentially this. It is that Jesus died in my place and he is Lord of everything. The gospel is as simple as that. Jesus in my place. I deserve the death that he died. I was the one that was worthy of of, of dying in that way. And he died in my place. So that when I receive him, I get to walk in the the fullness of of joy and the goodness that comes with walking with Christ. I get the joy in my life and the peace. I get the acceptance that that I've always wanted, that I didn't have with with friends or family, that, that he loves me unconditionally and meets me where I'm at. This is the gospel of Jesus that he loves us and and he meets us where we are. And I think the posture that the church needs to take and absorb moving forward is one that I would call that was characteristic of Philip, that it was an open Bible and a willing heart that God used. If we ask the question fundamentally, what type of person does God want to use? He wants to use people who are willing and sometimes in his, in his goodness, um, even when we're unwilling, he'll still use us. And he'll still move us in a direction because of providence to, to get us where we need to go. But God wants his people to have an open Bible before him. That's how we know him. And that's the revelation and the response. But with to have willing hearts to say, God, use me today. Use me. Bring people into my path that I can share with and love on and, and be a friend to." Verse 36 goes on, and he says, "And as they were going along the road, it says, "They came to some water. The eunuch said, "See, here's this water. What prevents me from being baptized?" And he commanded the chariot to stop, and they both went down to the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. But I want us to look very closely at this last question found in verse 36. Or the eunuch asks this question, what prevents me from being baptized? And I want to ask you this question in a different way. Maybe not so much in regards to baptism. Though, maybe perhaps there are some of you that need to be baptized. Baptism is our testimony. It's publicly identifying like a ring on our finger when we get married. It's the public testimony according to scripture that we are walking with Jesus. There's a lot more to it. There's a lot of symbolism. There's a lot of imagery that that comes alongside of it. But at its basic core, it's the way that we identify with the death, burial, and resurrection, and we let people know that we're following him. But maybe this morning the question is not to you, what prevents you from being baptized? I want to ask it a different way, and I want to end here. For some of you, the question is, what prevents you from just walking with God today? You see, I believe that for some of you, you've got some things in your life that nobody knows about but you, maybe one other person. Maybe there are things that you recently did. Maybe there are things that you habitually struggle with. Maybe in some ways you feel shame and condemnation. You're wrestling with guilt because of past actions. You're having trouble with with image and how you see yourself versus um, how God sees you. Some of you are practicing habits that you know are, are wrong and, and not right and deceptive and, and, and you're struggling with that. You you, you sense the, you feel the guilt in, in one sense, but, but you've not been moved to some place of action by the Spirit to say, hey, listen, we understand that this is wrong now, and this leads to death. What is it? What's the life that ultimately leads to where I can have life and be made new again? Some of you today, I just want to plead with you, what is it that is preventing you from knowing and walking with God? As a guy who, who tried to, to appease my, my flesh and, and to, to appease uh, the sinful desires in my own heart before I came to know Christ and all the which ways of the world, ultimately coming back to the conclusion that none of those things were satisfying, I just wanted a little bit more and a little bit more, and it was never enough. Now, no matter how much it was, it always ultimately ended up Short. And the Bible teaches very clearly that the only way that we will ever have life and have it abundantly is through a person and through a relationship with Christ. Philip ends up baptizing the Ethiopian man. And it says that when they came out of the water in verse 39, the spirit of the Lord carried Philip away and the eunuch saw him no more and went away rejoicing because he was changed. I think one of the primary markers to knowing whether or not God has saved us is how we respond in the midst of struggle and pain and strife. Like when it really just comes to it, how is it that I respond in the trial and tribulation? For the Ethiopian, and we've seen this countless times in Scripture and elsewhere as we walk through the Scriptures together, we see that ultimately salvation, it leads to rejoicing of His people. And if there is one characteristic, if there is one trait that needs to be shouted from the rooftop and magnified over and over again, is that we are a redeemed people that walk as people rejoicing in what God has done. The world needs to see that. And so my plea for you this morning is just simply this, that maybe you're like the Ethiopian eunuch and don't know the Lord. My, my prayer is that you would come to know Jesus today and, and in a relationship with him. But if you know the Lord, you've been walking to him, and I'm speaking to the church in this moment, that our prayer, what I would hope it would be today is this because of the text, is that we would begin praying this morning, God, bring us the Ethiopian in our life this week, the one insignificant person that we can encourage, we can share with, we can love on, like they matter in the kingdom of God. The question is, will we walk closely enough with God to hear him when he says speaks and when we hear him to do the thing that he's asked us to do? Pray with me. Father, we thank you that in the name of Jesus, you have saved us and redeemed us. you called us to be by your side. So, Father in heaven, we ask that now as we come that you would continue to inhabit the praises of your people. Lord, we are prone to wonder as your people. And so we pray, Father in heaven, that you would, through your spirit, that you would draw us and that you would keep us by your side. I pray, Lord, that in this room right now that there would be a spirit of not condemnation, Not guilt, but Lord, I pray for conviction of sin and over sin. I pray, God, that you you would save us from ourselves and that you would help us walk in the fullness of joy that comes in knowing your son, Jesus. I pray, Lord, that if there were any here today that would need to know you personally and intimately, they would let someone know. But I pray now that you would deal in the hearts of your church to change us and give us a heart like Philip, willing to go and to share. For we ask these things in Christ's name and God's people said, amen. Would you stand and would we respond in song as we close our time this morning?